Right, thank you. Uh, today, as already been mentioned, the main theme I'll be talking on will be Thanksgiving. And for this, I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse 11 to verse 20. So this is from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, <clears throat> not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord of your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I could have been a bit like uh, Sam and read from the start of the chapter, because what is very easy to do with this is to jump first to verses 19 and 20, talking about Thanksgiving and not look at it in the whole context of what uh, Paul's talking about. So as with a lot of, I think, our sermons on this series, we started with a particular thought in mind but then when you come to the scriptures, it tends to take you further and possibly in a slightly different slant than you necessarily first expected. But I will deal firstly with verses 19 and 20 about our worship and our thanksgiving. It's one of these things that, actually I'll just read those verses again so we know what we're talking about verses 19 to 20 in the ESV it says addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your hearts giving thanks always and for everything in God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and it's one of these things when I was looking into those verses in particular you sort of think about it contemplate it pray about it and then also look at what commentaries say and I came across my usual frustration that most of the commentaries didn't really seem to cover on these verses the sort of the questions I had at the back of my mind but eventually the last one I looked at uh, by Tom Wright in his Paul for Everyone book which I don't know if you can see it here uh, he actually looks into this bit in detail in these commentaries he writes on the New Testament, he often just picks up on one aspect. So it can be a bit potluck whether he picks up on the thing you're interested in, in the passage or not. But this is his introduction uh, to his comments on these verses. He says, when I was studying for my undergraduate degree, which was in classics, I had the idea for a special project. Keen as I was on music, I wanted to find out what sort of music people played and sang in the first century, which is obviously the time when Paul was writing. I became quite excited about the project and approached my tutor for advice. 
My tutor, though, was discouraging. Quite a lot of work had been done on the subject, and it showed that we didn't know and probably couldn't know very much about what ancient music actually sounded like. Hardly any music schools existed from the ancient world, about 50, and most of them in fragments, and it was very debatable about precisely how they were played. So I think the first thing we need to be aware of when we're looking at these verses is we don't know a great deal about how the Christians in the first century when Paul was writing would actually have uh, sung or otherwise uh, contributed to this. But one thing I find interesting, and I think is usually picked up by most of the commentators, and it seems to be translated virtually the same way in all the translations I looked at, as in verse 19, where Paul says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And virtually everybody in translations translates it that way. So there's what it speaks to me is that there's a variety of the kinds of singing which took place. Psalms probably refers to the Old Testament Psalms, what we would have in the Bible as the Psalms, which go, some of them go back to the earliest days of the Jewish people, some of them written during the exile, some of them written after the exile. So these were hymns, things sung to God, which came over several centuries. They weren't all written at the same time. They weren't all written by the same person. Hymns probably refers to songs which had been written at the time of the early church. So as well as using the traditional Jewish songs of the Psalms, the early Christians also wrote songs themselves. And there's various places in the New Testament where it's usually thought that the writers are quoting from some of these early songs. So in the passage I read in verse 14, where it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, is generally thought to be part of a hymn which had been sung at somebody's baptism. And so Paul here is reminding people, when you're baptized, this was sung over you, apply it in your life. And some of the earliest Christian documents we have are hymn books. So not so much from this century, but certainly in the second century, we have fragments of hymn books that survived. So we know that the early Christians collected songs, collected hymns, and they sang them. And then spiritual songs. This one tends to give people uh, most trouble and there's most variation in how commentators interpret it. But probably what it's looking at here is we're not looking at Psalms, the ancient hymns of the church, if you like. We're not even looking at more recent hymns which have been written. It's usually thought although here I think people, commentators' background usually governs what they say, that here you could be talking about spontaneous singing in the church. So I think what this tells us, apart from anything else, is that we shouldn't really just have one type of song that we sing in church. We 
We don't just go for one type. We don't just go for one period of time. We benefit from the things which were written in the time of the Bible. We benefit from hymns which have been written over centuries. We benefit from things which have been written in the last few decades. And we benefit from people singing spontaneously in our services. So all of those are things which we use. We're not just using one. The next part of verse 19 gets even harder to translate. Uh, I'm not sure what you've got in your uh, uh, translation, but mine says singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. If you go back and dig into the uh, uh, Greek words being used and compare them with the first part, what it's actually saying is singing and psalming in your heart to the Lord in your heart. And so therefore, it gets a bit difficult for translators to translate that. Which takes you a bit back into the language and the word psalm apparently comes in from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so basically, it was a word in Greek which meant implied playing with a lyre, plucking a lyre. So in the Greek Old Testament, they're saying these are things you sing plucked with a lyre. And so I think, therefore, most English translations, therefore, translate it as in making music, making with a melody. But I think the thing to remember is it comes from the same background as the word psalm. And so uh, occasionally you'll get people using other words like chanting, because maybe that's how they expect psalms to be sung. But again, I think what we can learn from this is that there is a lot of variety which can be used. There isn't one way we praise God. But the important thing is that we do it from our heart. We're not just doing some, something as a performance. We're not doing something because that is the official way to do it. When we come to give our thanksgiving, we come and we do it with our hearts. One interesting thing I found is most of the commentators then go on to talk about singing in your heart as well. And I found that was quite interesting because I don't think that is actually within what the scripture says, but equally I think it follows very well from what the scripture says. Because if we are meeting together to sing, to address one another in our songs. So one point Paul's making is that as we're singing, it is part of our teaching one another. As we sing, we are encouraging one another in learning about God, in applying the truths of God to our lives. So if we expose ourselves to singing songs, psalms, spiritual songs in our worship together as a Christian community, that also impacts us in our minds and in our hearts. Because what we can expose ourselves to gets embedded in us. And then during 
the times when we aren't able to meet together, those songs can come back. It's interesting when we've been doing some of the earlier bits in worship and various people have mentioned things, how in my mind it's triggered uh, songs uh, which go way back. Interestingly, one of them in my case was something I first sang in 1970. And I don't think I've ever been anywhere else where it's been sung pretty well since. Partly because uh, it was originally written by somebody who played an accordion. And what works with accordion music doesn't work too well with a guitar. And therefore, seeing here as the only, as, the, as a youth camp I was on, and as it's the only time I've been somewhere where the worship leader was using an accordion, that was the only time I sung it. But the words in that song are still there in the back of my mind. And you say the right things, and it triggers them, and they come back and reminds me of what God was speaking to me at that time when I was 15. So, Let's go back a little bit. And how does this tie in with the rest of the passage? Because the passage is talking about how do we live our lives now? Paul is talking about us giving thanks as part of how we live in the world. And when we look at what it's saying here before this in verse 16, Paul says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The phrase he uses for making the best use of time comes from commerce. And it's sort of the idea behind it is buy up the opportunity. Now, if you think of the sort of first century, the idea that you know, if you are a trader, you want to buy up the grain when the price is low. So you can then sell it when the price gets higher, when there's shortages. You look for the opportunity and when there's the opportunity, you take it. In 2018 and 2019, were you thinking I need to take every opportunity I can to worship with the church because I can now, because there's a time coming when I won't be able to. Simple answer, no, because you didn't know what was going to happen in 2020 and 2021. But if we're going to live our lives, we need to take the opportunities when God gives them to us so that therefore we're ready when things change later and we don't have those opportunities. Because therefore, if we go, if you read through the whole of the chapter five and you're looking at what I read a little bit from verse 11, but what Paul's talking about here is living as wise people, not as foolish living in the way of the Lord, not uh, in the way the world does. In verse four, he says, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So what he's saying is if we are giving thanks to God, if we are living our lives with thanksgiving, 
that is a way of counteracting the way of the world which would tend to get us uh, speaking in ways which are harmful and sinful and which then help lead us into actions which are harmful and sinful. But go back to verse 15. It says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days of evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And as he goes on, his primary thing he gives us for helping us to understand what the will of the Lord is, is thanksgiving. Because if we're giving thanks to God for who he is and what he's given us, it helps keep our minds focused on him. It helps keeps our minds thinking in the appropriate way. So therefore, we don't become foolish. And he says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't use drugs, alcohol or other drugs to try and give you a boost, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we're filled with the Spirit, we can give thanks in these ways. Now, I've given you quite a lot of information today, but I just want to read something I saw on Twitter this morning uh, from Bob Roberts, Jr. He was due to be our guest speaker at the uh, Relational Mission uh, Conference in the summer, which had to be cancelled because of COVID. And this was him tweeting last night about today. He said, I prayed, studied, reflected, and I'm ready to preach tomorrow. Truth is, people don't need more information to follow God. They hear him and know what they must need to do. They need the courage to do it. So I think that's something for us when we contemplate back over this series we've done on worship in all the different aspects in the way it affects our lives, in worshipping during times of suffering and so on. You know, I've given information about how here, about how the Bible shows us that when we're giving thanksgiving, we can do it in lots of different ways. I've given information about how worshipping and giving thanks is the good counteract, count, way of countering the world which is going to tend to draw us away from God and towards sinful behavior. But what we now need is the courage to actually let it affect our daily lives, to come together when we can to worship, to let thanksgiving be something which comes from our hearts day by day, so that we may live wise lives following the way of the Lord. Amen.